You're listening to And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Ray Yu. And we are here today with an author chat with Lydia Day Penaflor, the author of Creep, a Love Story, a title that does not leave much the imagination of what you are in for. Um, it, is, it is a book about Rafi, who is a sophomore in high school, who is obsessed with the it couple of her high school and does everything she can to be a part of their lives. Um, Rira, this book did not um, disappoint in supplying the creepiness, I gotta say. Yeah, it was pitched to me as you meets to all the boys I've loved before and to all the boys I loved before told from the eyes of a classmate stalker. And I was like, this sounds like something I would really enjoy because <laughs> I like I love content that has like an unreliable narrator and um also who is not like the perfect protagonist. So I was really interested in reading this book. Um you know sometimes when you have these comparisons, like comparable comparisons, you know, they don't always hit the mark, but I think this is pretty apt because it is a book, it is it is a story about a stalker who has no boundaries like you and like to all the boys love i love before it does have a bunch of sweet moments that are tinged in a little bit of that creepiness yeah yeah um so if you're planning to read creep i do want to give out a small trigger warning so there is parental neglect there is uh mentions of teen pregnancy abortion and miscarriage so just proceed with caution if those are anything that you guys um if any of those are your triggers yeah but we had a lot of fun talking to Lydia uh we talked about um parasocial relationships and uh just high school trauma i guess <laughs> also about um filipino american uh, representation as well as um stan culture stan culture yeah stan culture this book is definitely this is a book about stan culture taken to yes. the most extreme possibility yeah yep um, well i hope you guys enjoy our talk with lucia And we are here with Lydia de Penafor, the author of Creep, A Love Story. Welcome to the podcast. Yay. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you. Well, before uh, we started recording, I was telling Lydia that when I heard the premise for her book, I was like, this is my jam. This sounds <laughs> like this kind of sounds like you meets, uh, I don't know, like sweet teenage love story it, it yes. was such an odd combination so I was like <laughs> really into it <laughs> that's so good to hear I love being someone's jam um but this is your third book and I just want to ask you 
what was your publication journey like? Were you always a writer or is that something that came later in life? I started writing seriously toward publication, I guess around 2010, 2011. And I thought of myself that I was always a writer, but I didn't really have anything to show for that. But for some reason, I thought I could do it. It's kind of like knowing you can do a cartwheel, even though you've not done it. It's just a feeling or a, I don't know. I just knew that I had it in me and I always wanted to write a novel. So I knew that I could write a killer three pages because I'd always been able to do that for school and for myself and just write a really good three pages. So I told myself, I'm going to write three pages a day. And so I did that until it was a full novel. Wow, that's dedication. I tried to psych myself into believing, no, it's just three pages. All I'm doing is three (laughs) pages. And and just started to build. And there you go. I had a whole book. Um, So you... Your job is a private tutor for young Hollywood stars. Uh, I thought that was like an interesting day job. Uh, We've had lawyers on our (laughs) show. We've had financial analysts. But this is the first time we've had like a a private academic teacher for stars. Right. So what is that? What is that like? It's so different from uh, writing. It is, but it isn't because... I work on film sets and television locations and I watch them film a show all day long and I read scripts all day and I read scripts with my students. So I'm immersed in storytelling all day long. Yeah, I would assume that watching a lot of shows, especially if you're there in person, would help with outlining and um, just getting the structure down for, for story beats. Yes, I think that most of what I learned about writing actually did come from television and movies growing up, more so than books. And I used to not tell people that because I was embarrassed. I would be amongst writers and they would say, oh, this author so-and-so and and this book, so whatever it's called that I've never heard of, inspired me to be a writer and taught me about story structure and this and that and characterization. But I always just learn about stories from TV. And so working on working on set, yeah, then I I get to see it firsthand how to how to do that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the writers we talked to, especially through this podcast, um, you know, some of them have come through writing programs, but a lot of them cut their teeth writing, you know, fanfic and, you know, learning about story from watching anime and watching just from popular culture. So I I think, I don't think you're an outlier there. I think a lot of people (laughs) are right there with you, especially those of us who, you know, there are some kids now that grew up knowing they can be authors because of people like you. But for those of us who grew up without those role models, you know, like we didn't even know this was a thing until later on. So how could we prepare or go to school for it? Right. I honestly never thought of it as in that way. I saw it. I liked it. And I, always believed I could do it. That's amazing. I mean, a lot of people, they would hesitate, you know, like um, they would be like, this is something that I did not study or, you know, didn't take classes for it. Like, how can I even start? But the fact that you started with such an attainable goal, like that's self-discipline and that's the most important thing in writing. Uh, It's actually really funny that you say that uh, 
you were kind of embarrassed that you yeah. didn't read a lot of books because you're in these writing groups and you're like, I learned my writing through TV. Um, it was the complete opposite for me because okay. I I went to school for screenwriting and I went oh, wow. not watching a lot of TV. Oh. I, <laughs> I, I read a lot of books. So I was like, oh, like my parents didn't really let me watch a lot of sitcoms and, right. and dramas. The most I've watched is like anime and like Korean dramas that they would put in, in like the background. So. And you went into screenwriting. Yes, yes. Wow. That, that is so So different. everybody comes in differently. And I guess it doesn't matter where you pick it up as long as you pick it up. I mean, because you've also worked with kids in your day job, I'm sure it helped you write writing teenagers in your book. Absolutely. Yeah, being a teacher, being around young people helps me with that that voice and that headspace and that feeling, that energy of being 15 or 10 or whatever age kids I have. That's, to be that's quite with. an advantage you have because um, most of us don't spend a lot of time with teenagers. We're, right. our, our exposure to high school culture is, is our own unless, you know, you're a parent. Right. And it's like, what do what do kids do nowadays? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's considered cool? Like, how do they do? Uh, like, how do they communicate? Is, is right. it through Snapchat or is it through an app that we don't even know know right. about? Right. It also helps has helped me in a different way that I'm working with kids who are literally winning Tony Awards and go to the Oscars. They're living their dream and they're 10 years old or whatever age. So it helped me to believe, well, if this child can do this and make <laughs> millions of dollars per picture, I can certainly write a little book and have that published. And it just helped me realize that nobody on this set where I'm working on this multi-million dollar film is really all that special or different than I am. I would sit at tables with producers and directors and and actors at lunch and the conversation wasn't anything outstanding. <laughs> People would just talk about any stupid thing that I would talk about with my friends and I'd realize, wow, no one here is really that special. So I would go back to my trailer and write and work on a book and be like, these people are writing scripts that are being produced into shows and movies why can't I go back to my trailer and write something that's going to be a book? Did any of your students know that you were writing? I had a mom and daughter on a show that actually said, you should write a book. Oh, wow. Encouragement. <laughs> yes. And that was the year I started to do it. I mean, like, how long did it take you to, um, like, Going from drafting your first book to getting represented and having uh, your first book published. I wrote my first book in, it took me over two years, maybe two and a half years. And then I queried it with agents and I actually got an agent, in, my agent in about four weeks. Oh my goodness. So, well, I thought I was really hot stuff. I was like, yes, I got an agent in four weeks. This is unheard of. I'm, this is really special and I'm going to take off. 
And she pitched that book around the industry for seven months, and that book didn't sell. So my so first novel, start. yes, my first novel wasn't the, my first published book. That seems to be a very common case. Um, or uh, like our, we, we had an author named uh, Meredith Ireland and her book, Everyone Hates uh, Kelsey Miller, came mm. out uh, this past week. And that was her first manuscript. So this is that was her second book that got published. And we've also had um, another author, Mike Chen, like his first manuscript was also his sophomore book. So okay. you never know. It could be. It could be published later on in the road. That's right. That's right. And don't get too cocky because <laughs> I thought I had it made. I was like, woo, four weeks to get an agent. And it'll be this. This will be like smooth sailing from here on in. But yeah. Uh, so let's move on to your book, Creep. So in your dedication, you say that the premise of the book was inspired by a younger student in your high school coming up to you and telling you, you have the cutest boyfriend. And that memory stuck with you for for this book. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, that is a true story. (laughs) I was just at my locker one day and I was a senior and this girl came up to me and she just looked straight at me and didn't say hello or anything and just said, you have the cutest boyfriend. And I just got a little chill. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) she was a little oddball and I never forgot it so over the years I just would think about her again and again and imagine who she was and also imagine who I might be to her in her eyes so she morphed into this character Rafi who now lives in this book called Creep it's interesting to me that that memory stayed with you for years and years and years. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've always been fascinated by that. The fact that someone could influence a person with a tiny interaction and probably not even remember it. And the other person's life could be maybe changed by it in some way. So that always fascinates me. Yeah, especially in high school where everything feels like it's like a life changing event and every little thing is like a milestone or teachers telling you that if you don't do this or go to this college, your life is ruined. These are the right. best years of your life. And you're like, oh, my gosh, the, the permanent record. <laughs> <laughs> what permanent record? Exactly. The only thing is my memory and all of the mortifications <laughs> that I experienced in high school. Well, thank God I have the memory because... I was able to turn it into something. But also I used to admire couples too when I was younger and think that these older couples were really glamorous and they had everything put together. And I used to envy the relationship and look up to that a lot. So then when this girl came up to me and said that, I realized that the roles had reversed and now I was that person. I was part of the couple to be admired. So that was probably what helped me to remember it. Yeah. I mean, reading your book, I definitely got flashbacks to like, you know, the way we used to crush on people, the way we used to fixate on popular people and the way that 
I imagine a lot of teens try to manufacture like, oh, I'm going to wait here because the person I like, I know, walks through this hallway at this time. So mm-hmm. I can meet them at the right time. So you can just, you know, have a casual, you know, bump into each other. Right. Um, except, <laughs> Accidentally. You know, except your main character, Rafi, you know, takes this to like the most extreme possible. <laughs> Um, right. But the feelings there are very, very um, relatable. Um, and maybe this is just my brain being rotted mm-hmm. from just being online, having a lot of friends who are, you know, like K-pop stands. Um, but a lot of the yeah. a lot of the um, interactions, at least in the, f- the first half of the book, just seem like just your typical stand behavior. You know, you're totally invested in the people that you're following. You want them to be happy. You just want them. <laughs> you just want... Their joy is your joy, right? How did you, what appears to be effortlessly, get into the mindset of like a stalker fan? I think a lot of that comes from a real place. Like you said, it's relatable. I remember being really hyper observant as a teenager of other people. I would notice everything about someone I was interested in. And like you said, I would choose. It's... I. I think it's normal that people would choose a route in order to pass someone by or say hello in the hallways. So I gave Rafi all of my curiosity and all of my own behaviors that would be the normal behaviors for somebody when you admire a person. And then I took that to an extreme level, (laughs) to that bonkers level that is Rafi. Yeah, it's funny how uh, you're talking about like what's normal. And uh, there was a quote in your book. I'm going to read it. And it really struck me. Uh, What did she mean by normal anyway? It's not normal to look up to someone. It's not normal to want to be near them. It's not normal to be passionate about something. We're teenage girls. We're the same as teenage girls who fainted at Beatles concerts and the teenage girls who marched for their lives in Washington, D.C., to need and to crave and to want. This is what teenage girls are supposed to do. Doesn't she know? Passion is our job. And it just reminded me of how society is so quick to label teen girls as obsessive and hysterical, especially when it comes to stan culture and like, you know, not just like K-pop, but celebrity culture. Uh, was this prejudice right. something you had to carefully consider when you were crafting uh, Rafi's personality and also her inner monologue? I don't know if I was aware of it up front in the <laughs> front part of my brain, but it obviously was there enough to come out in that paragraph. Um, but that is such an interesting thing. Like the Beatles when it was just girls screaming their heads off, that was a silly little band. But then when men started to say, this is a this is a really revolutionary album. Oh, it's the Beatles. Yes, everyone loves the Beatles. And then all of a sudden it was cool. And that's a, a band to know. So yeah, there's always that element of girls are so frivolous. Until someone like, else girls picks up are on so it. so intense <laughs> right. and their obsessions are unhealthy. But there's a difference between like obsessing healthily right. <laughs> over something versus being a straight up stalker. 
And Rafi has trouble knowing what the line is. She always talks about what's the line. Everyone's telling me, aren't you crossing the line? What is that line? And it's interesting to me, I guess, for readers to decide, oh, this is something I would do. Ha ha ha. Versus, oh, wait a second. This is not okay. She's crossing the line. This is not healthy. Something's wrong with her. And where do readers draw the line for themselves? Yeah, I mean, Rafi is an unreliable narrator because she doesn't know what what the line is. And she constantly thinks back being like, okay, is this too much? Like, what is too much? Back Mm -hmm. off, back off. You can't be too eager because otherwise you'll be you'll be seen as crazy. Um, But at the same time, she's, you know, a teenage girl and someone who the reader can empathize with because she did go through a lot of painful things throughout her childhood. Uh, So what was it like writing an entire novel from a stalker, from a teen stalker's point of view? Yeah, I had to give Rafi a whole life and a backstory because it was from her point of view. I couldn't just have her doing weird things for 300 pages. (laughs) She needed to have a family and a history and other emotions and reasons for her actions in order for this whole story and her character to be complete. Yeah, I mean, Rafi, um, this isn't a spoiler. You you find out like pretty early on. She lives with her grandparents and it's because uh, her parents, they were, you know, they became parents before they were ready. Uh, she was, you know, the, her mom got pregnant in high school and that really affected her psyche. And I thought that was like a really interesting way to also introduce the central couple in your book because they're all because her parents were considered like the golden couple right and now that the couple she's following at high school are you know also a golden couple so um i just want to ask like what was so captivating about Lainey villanueva and nico fiore that uh rafi just wanted to ingratiate herself into their lives like we know from the very first, the, the opening lines, that she had already admired them from the year before. Because she says, uh, Rafi says, he's wearing his purple sweatshirt, the one he wears on cool mornings, and then carries home on warm afternoons. So we know she's already been eyeing Watching them. them. Right. Yeah. And so when they come into her life through the main office where Rafi works, they walk into the office doors, she's already excited. And then she learns through her keen observation, this is also not a spoiler because it's on page, maybe page four, realizes that they had just had sex that morning. So she's part of this huge event in their lives because it was their first time. And she feels like, wow, I'm, I'm part of this momentous occasion. And so she feels bonded with him immediately. And so that heightens her interest and their relationship to her right away. 
Yeah, I'm. I mean, it kind of reminded me of uh, parasocial relationships sure. in social media with influencers. You're like, oh my god, they like got proposed to, or they're having a baby, right? And, and I'm like right here. <laughs> I was here for it. <laughs> They're sharing and in a way, that's a little bit creepy because that's like- worse. That is worse than Rafi. So people saying that she's the absolute most horrible person. Need you need to look inward. You need to look at yourselves <laughs> because what are we all doing online? You're right. Like, oh, she just had a baby, and she just shared the name with me of all people. I kind of like the idea of having your book be like the litmus test of how like how far <laughs> are you on the stalker. Like fan and stalker, like spectrum, right? Right. Yeah. Maybe there should be a list. And what what would you do? What would you not do? What's okay? What's not okay? I have to say personally, I I'm high on the stockish behavior <laughs> because I'm just a curious <laughs> I'm just a curious person who tends to go on Wikipedia holes and right. Yeah, like nothing fuels me more than spite and just. <laughs> I can hold a grudge forever. So, yes, I have stalked into, like, previous uh, nemeses uh, wow. that I've had in, in, in school. I'm like, what are they doing now? What is their life like? I love that you admit it. And I mean, you... if I did it and if it was a deep, dark secret, I think that would make me even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that you share that because I think that more people do that than would admit it. Yeah. And people who are claiming that Rafi is just the absolute worst might be participating in equal types of behaviors. It's like, look inward, like you said. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Right. Why are you listening to this podcast right now? Do you know me from some other life? Is there a reason why you would tune in besides having read this novel? I mean, did your editor or your agent comment on, like, were they like, this is a little bit too creepy for teenage behavior? You need to, like, dial it back. (laughs) No, no. I think they were into that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Uh, The only thing I had to dial back was was a scene because it was too racy. Oh, <laughs> so, so they're like, oh, it's too it. sexy for, for teens, but this right. creepy behavior is... Oh, I probably, I think I know right. what that scene is. <laughs> it's so good for the young adult market. Right. Funny how that works. <laughs> I had to revise that scene twice. So I don't know what that says, but oh well. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure your editor and publisher knew what they were getting into when they bought a manuscript called uh, Creep, right? Exactly. Yes. I the title is aptly named. I think it you get what you ask for. <laughs> it's funny that we like uh mentioned that scene that you had to rewrite twice because it was too racy. Mm-hmm. Uh I couldn't help but notice that there were lyrics to Radiohead's Creep in that scene. Yes. And I was like, did the song inspire you to title your book after it or did the title like come after you were drafting and you just happened to be listening to Radiohead. The song inspired the book. Nice. As much as the girl who came up to me in the hallway senior year. (laughs) 
Yeah. Every time I heard this song, I would think about this story. So this song became my theme song. So you're the type of writer who listens to music while you write. Oh, yes. Always. I have a playlist for my books. I play that bad boy on shuffle every single day. (laughs) And I listen to the same songs over and over. And if I really need to get into one character, I'll play that character's song. Whatever that may be. Wow. I mean, you should definitely share your Spotify playlist for <laughs> this book on yeah. Twitter or on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I might do that. And it was weird because I'm still not tired of the songs that I listened to for this book. Even That is I, quite a gift. I, I, don't, I don't know how that happened, but I can still listen to them. I have song like ADHD. I feel like I only listen to the first verse of a song and I'm like, I'm over it. I'll like, <laughs> listen to the next song. So I'm the complete opposite. Um, so something that I picked up while reading your book is just a lot of nostalgia for high school. And especially, so your character Rafi is, your main character Rafi is the photographer for the yearbook club. And it's in charge of documenting all of these iconic moments of your high school experience. And that's a big deal for her throughout the book is making sure that these people that she loves have the ideal high school experience. And it made me think about just how, like when we're in high school, everything is just the most important thing in the world. We have to, we have to do prom. We have to do winter formal. We Mm -hmm. have to do all these things that if we don't, then our life isn't complete. And you know, when you, when you when you grow up, quote unquote, um, you realize that a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's whatever. But you know, <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> is there a school memory that kind of like holds a special place in your mind? Like when you think about high school, it's like, oh yeah, like that was a pocket of happiness that existed and was like over consuming <laughs> back when I was a teenager. It wasn't any of those big events. Yeah, funny how that works, right? Yeah, it's just the day-to-day being with friends and wasn't the big... Yeah, I think that's what I most miss most about school, too, is just going somewhere every day and not having to work or make money, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who wouldn't love that, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's just the the age and the, the... time period and the people that come to mind when I think about it, but it wasn't those big events, like you said, that seemed life or death. Yeah. I mean, when I look back on high school, I mean, it's very interesting because I am friends with most of my high school friends, but we're definitely not the same people that we were back when we were teenagers and our friendships were different. And for the friends that have left my life, um, I mean, there's this sadness to it, but also like this gratefulness of like, okay, like they were part of like a big influential part of my life. And I feel like that's the same with Lainey and Nico. Their, you know, their relationship. I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, you're a high school couple. Like, what are right. the chances are that you're going to survive college and right. being adults? But really, like, reading 
uh, reading about like their dates and how they treat each other, you're like rooting for them. Right. And that's all Rafi wanted too, is that's all she wants is to be part of something like that. (laughs) She sees the beauty in this relationship and wants to be a friend and wants to be part of something good that they can remember her years from now. (laughs) She's wanted a little too much. Um, One thing that I also enjoyed was the glimpses into like Filipino culture um, sprinkled throughout your book, like the parties with the karaoke machines, um, the (laughs) V-boys and, you know, the little brothers who are actually way better dancers than their older brothers. Um, How, how fun was it to slip in those, that Filipino representation into, into your story? Oh, so fun. My cousins are my best friends in real life. <laughs> so I gave that to Lainey's character. And of course, the the big parties and the dancing, that's all really fun to include into the book. Yeah. Okay. So um, this, again, I'm not going to belabor this metaphor, but part of the rotting of my brain of being in this book club and reading so many, so many, so many Pride and Prejudice adaptations, I couldn't help but notice that the the surname of your main character, Rafi, is Wickham. And I just wanted to ask, was that intentional or is that just coincidence? No, I it was not intentional. I actually <laughs> borrow a lot of names from past students. So that, that was just coincidental. It's just because of the sound of the names. I like names that sound like the person. I naming characters is one of my favorite parts of writing. Wow, I'm. I feel like a lot of authors they agonize over names. I love it. Because, I love names because they're like, what does it mean? Like, there, <laughs> does there have to be a meaning? Is this name like too outdated? I feel like they go through this whole of looking through baby names and mm-hmm. just like picking one. But yeah, that's like interesting that um, they're like really into into names. Yeah, that's well, me spending an hour trying to figure out what the name I be doing game characters <laughs> in the start screen. <laughs> well, for Rafi, I wanted a name that is not the most popular girl name. And one that would be memorable for her because a lot of books tend to use modern names that are popular in the moment and hers is sort of timeless and also specific. Yeah, imagine if you named her Khaleesi, like something that was more pop cultural. Where... <laughs> right. <laughs> right, or all the, 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 the names with Lee at the end, right? The L-E-I-G-H, <laughs> like all the Kayleys and the Rileys and all that. That's very current. And I just wanted her to feel like a timeless person i mean i thought it was cool because just judging from the surnames of a lot of the students you're like Mm -hmm. oh that person is hispanic that person is asian and uh i was like wow there is a lot of diversity in this school but then i remembered that this was a catholic school and I was like, oh, yeah, lots of Filipinos, lots of Hispanics, lots of Asians, because right. there are a lot of those in Catholicism. Uh, but I thought you, as someone who went to Catholic school for like the first three years of my schooling, I was like, she got the atmosphere of the <laughs> Catholic school 
pretty like mm-hmm. she like nailed it on the head. Did you go to Thank Catholic you. school by any chance? I sure did. Catholic high school. Oh god. <laughs> That's exactly like Holy Family High School. So I got every single detail from my school. <laughs> and not only did I attend it as a student, but I also returned to my high school as a guest speaker for the, you know, the in the recent past, pre-COVID. But I'd been back to my school maybe four or five times to talk about being an author. So I got to be there in present day and see how it is now. Uh-huh. Did you meet any teachers that... Uh were there when you were a student? That's how I got to go back because my high school English teacher is still there. Oh. And he invited me to come back. (laughs) So he was like, I always knew that you were going to be an author or a writer. (laughs) I don't know if he always knew, but he's really excited and proud about it now. I mean, like I said, nothing motivates me more than spite and like my grudges for people. (laughs) And I think I have a grudge against every single English teacher that I've had in my life. Oh, wow. So if I went back, I feel like I would probably start something. I don't know. I'm (laughs) I'm a bad person. (laughs) It would be it would be a revenge visit. I'm Korean. We do revenges so well. Wow. That's enviable. (laughs) <laughs> I, think, I think I like most of my English teachers, so. <laughs> but no, I also, so this, also went to school here, so I think it's okay. a little different, too. <laughs> okay. Now, that setting of the Catholic school, then, is, yeah, that was true to my experience then and true to how it is now. Yeah, there's like an eeriness when it comes to uh, Catholic school and also just like religious schools in general. I don't know what it is about them. Maybe it's because, uh, like, the nuns always tell you, like, God is watching. Like, whatever wrongs you do, like, you won't get away with it for right. long. It's right. like... We didn't have nuns. But uh, there is an element of, you said eerie. I don't know about eerie, but, yeah, people watching you. <laughs> There's People a standard, you, and then you have a stalker within a school oh, where they, <laughs> right. where they tell you that someone is always watching. <laughs> I think that's what that's what added to the eeriness. And you have to leave room for your Holy Spirit. I mean, it was <laughs> the fact that they went to Catholic school, and I don't want to spoil anything in this book, but you know, teenage pregnancy is talked about. Like we said, Rafi's parents, uh, they were, you know, they right. uh, got pregnant before like before they graduated. Um, and I feel like, you know, that means something different in a Catholic school versus a public school. It does. And without having to say it, it has a tone to it. There's an expectation. Yeah. Especially with like romantic relationships. It's like, I don't know, there's more of an expectation for you to do everything quote unquote properly. Exactly. And you know it's like if you're in a relationship and if you're in deep, like you have to you have to get married. And right. yeah, I mean that's that's a little bit not romantic when you when you think about it. Like uh like it, teenage pregnancy, obviously it's like it's a heavy topic and you know there can be a lot of complications on it. Um which Rafi you, still feels to, to oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like trauma to that intergenerational trauma, and um, 
was that something that was easy to write or did you have to like take a step back on those darker aspects of your book without spoiling anything? No, I had to just commit to the story as a whole and go for it. I knew that this was a book that I couldn't hold anything back if it was going to be honest and successful in its execution. So for any topic in it and for any of Rafi's behaviors or the actions of Lainey and Nico, I just had to (laughs) plow through it and not think about people judging it or reading it. I really had to imagine that I was writing just for myself and that this was never going to be read. That's the only way I can really write something good (laughs) or compelling. Well, I mean, your book is out now and it is being read. Um, How has the reception been? Like what has been your favorite reactions to, or do you, do you read your reactions at all? Do you read like what people think about your book? Um, Sometimes I do. And I, I love it. I love the reactions, even if they're negative. I just love that people are picking it up and giving it (laughs) the time to read it. That's always a compliment to me. Just when people give it time, it's not like a TV show. (laughs) Oh, it's 25 minutes. If I hate it, I hate it. Whatever. People commit hours when they read an author's book. And that in and of itself is such a compliment. Yeah. Has there been anything surprising about the reaction to your book? Because like we mentioned, your your protagonist is someone who, you know, you you feel sympathy for because you're reading her point of view. But at the same time, you're reading her doing yeah. all of these really, really um, wild and creepy things to people and like not respecting boundaries and just manipulating everyone around her. But at the same time, you know, it's, you know, your your book really does make us feel that we can sympathize with her, but also feel a little icky about it. Right. I like that some people are kind of appalled by her (laughs) and just think she's so creepy and off the charts. And some people are reading it as total entertainment and they're like, oh, this is so juicy. I can't wait to see what she gets into. So there's such different reactions to that. Some people just love the, they have like that eating popcorn feeling from the story. (laughs) (laughs) And others are like, oh no, this is really, really wrong. And they feel offended by it. But I I like all the reactions. I feel like the reactions can be divided into what you feel about the ending. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil anything, but I, I definitely think there's a camp for okay, this person is terrible. Maybe there will be like, I don't know, like character development. Maybe they'll grow. And then there's like the other camp where just like, I just want her to be terrible throughout yeah. the entire book <laughs> because that's entertaining. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. I'm. This is my third book and I think we should not expect, always expect a happy ending for me. So yeah (laughs) all right so as we wind down our conversation once again thank you for joining us on book symbol but um you know this is your third book are you are you working on anything else right now i am and i am not (laughs) 
<laughs> I do have another book that I'm working on, but I think I need some distance from it before coming back to it. But I'm mostly in my head as a writer. I like to think about things for a long time and then attack it, which is how I wrote Creep. So I'm hoping that the same happens again. Yeah, well, good luck. Um, I know it's not easy just <laughs> to write you. a book in general. Just the fact that you have three published works already, that's that's amazing. And uh, we really do wish you the best of luck um, on your fourth book because you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be great too. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us on Books and Boba. Um, we enjoyed reading your book and appreciate you being on here to talk to us. Thank you. And you guys were so fun. And I love talking to people who have read the book so carefully. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and I enjoy talking oh, to you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Lydia de Peñaflor, the author of Creep, a love story available now at booksellers everywhere. And check out her other books as well, including All of This is True and Unscripted Joss Bird. Uh, you can find Creep right now on our Books and Boba bookshop um, online bookstore. Uh, just go to booksandboba.com and go to our bookshop link. Uh, again, as always, all books bought through this portal will support not only your local bookstores, but also the Books and Boba podcast. Um, so yeah, before we go, uh, Rira, please remind us what we are reading for October 2022. For October, we are reading The Whole by Hye Young Pyeon and translated by Sora Kim Russell. And this book is a thriller, which is why we're reading it for Spooktober. And it is about a man who wakes from a coma after a devastating car accident that took his wife's life and left him paralyzed and badly disfigured. And his caretaker is his mother-in-law, who, you know, is understandably grieving the loss of her only child. And um, the man thinks that there's something sinister about the mother-in-law. So lots of spooky vibes for this book. Um, It's actually pretty short. It's around 200 pages. So you could probably read it in one sitting. Love a good paranoia thriller definitely gets you in the mood for spooky month it's probably it's probably one of the few like i i don't say i wouldn't say i enjoy it i will watch it um but i err towards the more cappy side than the like the creepy side you know i hate being scared but (laughs) i watch a lot of scary stuff listen to a lot of scary stuff read a lot of true crime Mm. think about murder a lot (laughs) but yeah this is our I think this is like our second translated work that we're reading this year so um, yeah yeah, I mean it's nice to see what other writers are coming up with in other countries yeah it's always good to see you know these types of stories from other perspectives as well I'm always down for like a Korean thriller I feel like those are always very tense very excited to um, talk about this book with you in the rest of our book club um, at the end of the month. Well, I have to I have to say though there is a Japanese book called The Hole. We are not reading that. That is a different thriller. <laughs> uh, so yeah, be careful. Make sure to get the Korean one not the Japanese one. It's um, a completely different story. So mm, yeah, just right. so you guys know. Right. Or read both, you know. It's your, it's your life. Do what you want. Um, but on that note, 
That'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks again to Chia for joining us and chatting with us about her book. And we will see the rest of you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics at QTDComics.com. Set phasers to fire.